You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. The Fish picked up a huge win yesterday, 4-2 over the Braves. It was a close one there for a second. Braves got the tying run to the plate with two outs in the ninth. Fortunately, the Marlins were able to shut the door. Brandon Kinsler was able to shut the door with a six-inning save, maybe his best outing of the entire season. He was really impressive. Marlins' huge win totally changes the tides for them because if they lost this ball game, we'd be really pressing with three games to go, tied for the final playoff spot maybe in the NL East. The wild card looks like it could be kind of difficult with the Cardinals getting hot. The Reds have some good pitching matchups moving forward for the final three. It would have been definitely a much more dire situation if the Marlins did not pick up a win yesterday. So huge win there. Pablo Lopez, that guy deserves to have a standing ovation as he walks off the mound at Marlins Park. I know that was a road game, but he has been the MVP for this team all year long. Yeah, you can make the case for Miguel Rojas. You can make the case for Brian Anderson. But through the COVID-19 situation, the Marlins had hardly any experienced and reliable pitching, whether it was starting or relievers. And Pablo Lopez, every fifth day that he was making a start, you knew, okay, this was a chance for the Marlins to finally have some consistency. And he was really good during that stretch. He had a couple tough outings recently, but clearly has bounced back. Yes, he only went five innings, but he gave the Marlins a chance against a really good lineup, maybe the best lineup in baseball in terms of production right now. Five innings, two hits, no runs, two walks, six Ks. Can't ask for much more from Pablo. And the fact that he did that in 86 pitches, it was just a little bit of an early hook. Not sure why. I know that Don Mattingly's tended to do that, especially with Pablo. And with the playoffs coming up, maybe he didn't want to overly tax him. I know that also... Everybody was on a short leash in this must-win game. We saw so many relievers come in, and the relievers were good overall. You know, some guys got roughed up here and there. Boxberger ran into some trouble, but that's going to happen. The fact that Kinsler was able to come in and shut the door, absolutely huge. I've lobbied against him to be the closer, and I'll tell you, he definitely proved me wrong there. I mean, to get that six-out save, to clean up the mess, and then get those final three outs, that was tough. And that was a gutsy performance from Kinsler, who definitely proved me wrong. We'll see if he can keep that going into the postseason. I will happily be wrong about that. I still hope that the Marlins use Yemi Garcia in high leverage situations, whether that be in the 7th or the 8th. But if Kinsler is going to be the closer, which it seems like he's going to be, especially after that outing, they're going to live and die by him. So let's hope that Kinsler can continue to keep things rolling. Of course, this is a four-year anniversary. I hate using the word anniversary for things that are terrible. It just feels weird. But, you know, it's been four years since Jose Fernandez passed away. Tragically, I'm going to talk about that a little bit at the end and a little tribute to Jose. I think we all remember where we were on that day and everybody has a little bit of a different experience of how they received the news, handled the news. And I think many of us are still trying to wrap our heads around it and process that one of the most exciting and fun, likable players in the game and just good people is just gone. And that's definitely something that, as a human being, it's hard to conceptualize that. So I definitely want to give Jose a little bit of time at the end here. The special thing is that the Marlins have a chance to clinch the postseason for the first time in a really long time 
on this day today. If they win and the Phillies lose, they clinch on the four-year anniversary of Jose's passing. That would just be poetic. It would be incredible. And the Marlins have a shot to do it because the Phillies have some good pitchers going in their final three games. They've got Aaron Nola. They've got Zach Wheeler going. But those are in the two games after today. Today, they have Vince Velasquez going, who is probably one of their worst starting pitchers. He's struggled mightily in the last couple seasons. The Marlins have Sandy Alcantara going against the Yankees. Sandy has been the Marlins' best pitcher when healthy and is definitely the hottest pitcher on this team right now. The Yankees, they got Jay Happ going, and Happ is throwing the ball as well as anybody in the bigs right now. A 2.59 ERA over his last four starts, 24 strikeouts over his last three. Happ's not going to be an easy guy to beat, especially with the Marlins struggling against lefties at times. We'll probably see Lewis Brinson in the lineup today. I know that a lot of fans had been wanting Matt Joyce out of the lineup because of his struggles at the plate. You'll probably get that today with a left-hander on the mound. I voiced my thoughts on that. I thought that the Marlins should probably go with the hot hand, being that it's Lewis Brinson, and being at the fact that he's a better defender, a better base runner. And right now, with how bad Matt Joyce has been, you know, Matt Joyce is a big reason why the Marlins are where they are right now. But just going to call a spade a spade, and he's really struggling. And he squandered some pretty big opportunities for the Marlins to drive in runs. Yes, he did pick up a big hit in that Scherzer ball game. And uh, Joe Fersaro definitely disagreed with me on that one, as you may have seen on Twitter. That's fine, but I think the Marlins need to unleash Lewis Brinson now, and there's no better time when he's swinging the bat really well, Joyce is struggling, and all of the intangibles that Brinson brings, especially with Joyce struggling at times in the outfield as well, it just makes too much sense to go with Brinson right now, and at least we'll get that in today's ball game, and we'll see how... The Marlins decide to navigate that in the postseason. I have a feeling that we're going to see more of the same where it will be a platoon with Joyce getting a lot more at-bats because the Marlins are going to tend to see more right-handed pitchers, especially if they face the San Diego Padres. We probably won't see as much Lewis Brinson because in that three-game series, if the Marlins make the postseason and do get matched up with the Padres, there's a good chance the Marlins don't see a left-handed starter as it's probably going to be mostly right-handers from at least the starting standpoint of the Padres than Likely out of the bullpen, still more right-handers. We'll see maybe one or two. So Brinson will probably be in bench duty in that series unless the Marlins and Don Mattingly decide to approach it differently. Still, some things that are finally going better for the Marlins right now, I would say Jesus Aguilar. I had mentioned a couple podcasts ago that he was starting to get it going at the plate again in terms of just hitting the ball and getting the average back up, but his last seven hits up to that point had all been singles. I was asking, where are the extra base hits, Jesus? Well, he answered that with going five for his last 11 with two home runs, including one in last night's game. He's got his power stroke back. He looks really good, and it's great timing. Sometimes you want those guys to get the slump out of their system, break out of it right before the postseason, and get hot rolling into the postseason. If the Marlins are able to do that and get Aguilar going into the postseason, Anderson's been swinging a pretty good bat. Rojas has cooled off a little bit. We'll see if he can get things going in this final series rolling into the potential postseason. And the rest of the Marlins offense definitely boosted by John Birdie's return. And we'll see how Corey Dickerson will do because it seems like right when he's about to break out, right when he's catching fire, then he pulls out an 0 for 4. I still don't really think the leadoff spot is for him. I think Rojas, with his struggles, might benefit from going to the leadoff spot. And maybe Dickerson will be better in the middle or latter half of the order. I think that just makes more sense right now. We'll ultimately see 
what the Marlins decide to do in that regard as well. I will say the one last thing on the Braves game is the Marlins went back to doing what they do well, quality starting pitching and situational hitting. Three of the runs that they drove in were with two outs. Chad Wallach with that huge RBI the other way into right center field and John Birdie with that double down the line picked up two RBI with two outs in that inning as well. A little preview for the Yankees series against the Marlins, of course, talked about Alcantara versus Jay Happ. This is the one you really want to win, I think, if you're looking at the three ball games. The Marlins are going to go against two rookies in the subsequent games, which could be a good thing or a bad thing, right? You don't have a lot of tape on either Davey Garcia or Clark Schmidt. Both of them are top prospects for the Yankees. Davey Garcia has been up for a little bit longer, so the Marlins will probably have a pretty good idea of what to expect from him. Garcia is a smaller guy. He's only about 5'10", and has one of the best curveballs, or had one of the best curveballs in the minor leagues, and it's a plus curveball at the major league level too. His fastball command tends to go wayward at times, and he, he's a guy that's either going to be lights out or he's really going to struggle. That's what it's been for him. He's had some tendencies to give up the long ball, and I don't think pitching in Yankee Stadium is going to be much of a help for that going from the minor leagues to the majors now. Garcia had one of the best strikeout rates in all of minor league baseball last year, He was just a few innings shy of qualifying, but he also had a very egregious home run allowed rate, too, in the minor leagues. So we'll see what the Marlins can do here. If he falls behind, I want to see these Marlins hitters aggressive. We talked about Corey Dickerson in the past not being quite as aggressive this season. I want to see Corey Dickerson attacking fastballs if Garcia is behind in the count. This is a game where... Yeah, maybe Matt Joyce makes more sense in that ball game because Garcia has such a good breaking ball, and we know Brinson tends to chase. With Garcia's plus breaking ball, maybe that's a game where you have the left-handed hitting Joyce, but I'd like to see game three. I would want to see Lewis Brinson in that one against Clark Schmidt, who has three average pitches, slightly above average pitches. I don't think that there's anything special about his arsenal yet. He's got good command. He's just an all-around pretty average pitcher. I think he projects as a three or a four. He's a quality prospect in terms of his high floor, but he doesn't really scare me, and I think that that's a guy that Brinson would be able to handle as he doesn't really have a plus out pitch and doesn't really have something that would wow you at the plate or make you chase out of the zone egregiously like Davey Garcia can. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Indeed.com. Indeed is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time. There are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed offers powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed.com is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have done for over 3 million businesses. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and see it fast. Try out Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash LockedOnMLB. That's Indeed.com slash LockedOnMLB. This is their best offer anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash LockedOnMLB for $75 in credit. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. This episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has six brand new delicious flavors to add to their 12 already delicious flavors, making it 18 fantastic flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, carrot cake. Those are some of the new ones. My favorite original flavor 
is between mint brownie, peanut butter, or peanut butter brownie. I don't think you can go wrong with any of the three. And the best part about Built Bar is it's great for the health conscious guy. Whether you're trying to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat, bars are low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, and it's great for a keto diet. A flavor profile real quick. How about peanut butter, which of course is one of my favorite. Only 180 calories, 19 grams of protein, only 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. And right now, if you go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get $10 off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your next order. And also, they are giving out a free cooler with your purchase as long as supplies last. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON. So real quick, just to wrap up the preview for the Marlins Yankee series that could be what puts the Marlins into the postseason. If the Marlins can't do it today, they have the two other rookies that they'll be facing, as I mentioned earlier. A little more on Garcia, who I've talked about a ton on the Locked On MLB Prospects podcast, especially when he was called up. The strikeouts are always there, but he's coming off of his worst start of his career, where he only went three innings against the Red Sox, surrendered eight hits, six earned runs, and two home runs, walked one, only struck out two. And a little bit on the home run problem, which I was talking about earlier, he's given up four home runs in his last 10 innings, and that's obviously not what you want to see from your starting pitcher, and that's why some believe he has some reliever risk, because his command is not always there, he tends to leave balls up in the zone, and with the curveball, that's the pitch that he likes to use, but often is spiking it, and hitters are sitting on the fastball. He has been good in terms of walks, he's only walked five in 27 and two-thirds innings, but it's kind of similar to Sixto Sanchez in the regard that He has good control now. He's improved the walk numbers, but his command isn't there. So he's throwing strikes, but he's not hitting his spots. And at the major league level, you got to be able to do that too. And the difference between control and command is huge at the lower levels, but you really have to have both to be successful at the major league level, especially if you're a starting pitcher. As for Clark Schmidt, he has not made his first career start yet. He's only made two appearances out of the bullpen. So we'll see if the Yankees actually end up starting him. That's the probable as it stands now. He's only thrown two and a thirds innings into the major leagues. He's already given up a couple of runs and walked three. He was pretty solid in the minor leagues last year. He was coming off a of Tommy John surgery a year and a half ago when he made his initial return. And he he's pretty average, like I said, all around. He's going to get guys to get themselves out. He pounds the strike zone. We'll see if it translates to the major league level, but I I think he projects as more of a back-end type of guy, maybe a little bit better version of Nick Neidert. Still, the Marlins are going to have to hit the ball, and they're going to have to be aggressive in that matchup as well because you don't want to struggle against guys that you should be knocking around, and then you get to the Yankees' bullpen, and it's too late. And we've seen the Marlins not really capitalize on some good pitching matchups in their favor. Still, three games to go. I think the most realistic situation for the Marlins is to edge out the Phillies, hoping that the Phillies drop the game today to limit the drama. I don't think any Marlins fans want it to come down to the final game of the season where it's a Jose Urania start against the Yankees. For my own sanity, I don't want that to happen. Although Urania has been all right in his last couple starts, I have to say, and he has probably earned himself a spot out of the bullpen in the postseason and maybe as an emergency long reliever or even emergency starter if the Marlins have to. That is a bridge I will cross once the Marlins officially clinch, as I've promised time and time again. I will not jinx this team with a postseason podcast about what the roster is going to look like before they make it, because that will make me look like an asshole. So I am not going to do that yet. 
for many Marlins fans, I know today brings up, you know, some difficult memories. And four years ago today, we all were shaken to the core of the news that Jose Fernandez had tragically passed away. And I remember when I had gotten that message from my father, I was freshman year in college. I was sleeping in, of course, like any freshman in college. So I didn't really see the news until I took my phone out, finally opened my eyes, and I saw an article from my father. And I was like, oh, he had to get fooled by some fake website or something. You know, That was kind of going around at the time, around the election time. So many fake headlines and whatever. And I was like, oh, he just got duped by some joke website. There's no way this is true. And I click it, and it's the Sun Sentinel. And my heart just dropped. And it's really hard to conceptualize somebody that is so prominent in your life, even if you don't know him personally, but to wrap your head around the idea that somebody that you watch every day on a screen that you idealize and that you watch in person, even at the ball games, that has this infectious, likable personality that everybody talks about, that almost seems like your friend because you watch him every day, he is just gone, just disappears. And that's really hard to wrap your head around. And unfortunately, a few months later, I would have to do the same thing with my father. And it's definitely just a very, very hard thing, I think, for human beings in general to accept death, losing somebody just suddenly, especially, makes it even more difficult to wrap our heads around. And I think that's why it's important to remember Jose, to talk about the good moments, the tough moments, all of the little things in between, and just air it all out, you know, talk about him, keep his memory alive. And I think that in that process helps fans and helps people get through it and wrap your head around everything that happened. I don't think any of us will fully accept or fully be able to stomach the fact that he's gone. And I don't think anybody is really trying to do that. But what's crazy about the whole situation too is that the last ball game I ever went to with my father was in Chicago. We went to see the Cubs play the Marlins and it was a Jose Fernandez start. Marlins actually lost that ball game. Jose was dealing the whole game. Jeff Mathis hit a grand slam. You probably, some of you guys might even remember the game now that I just gave those two little hints. You remember the ending? A.J. Ramos throws back-to-back pass balls and the Cubs walk it off. And that was the most angry I've ever been at a baseball game ever, to the point where even Cubs fans were apologizing to me. Like, wow, that was terrible. I'm so sorry. And I digress. But that was a really crazy and special opportunity where... I didn't realize that that ball game where I left fuming, absolutely livid about the Marlins and how they finished that game, I had no clue that that would be the last time I would ever see Jose Fernandez pitch in person. Furthermore, I had no clue that it would be the last time I sat in a stadium to see a ball game with my dad by my side. The irony of it is when I left that stadium, when I left Wrigley Field, I was pissed. I was like, this is the worst game ever. I wish we didn't even come. Now I look back on it, and it's one of my favorite baseball memories ever, being at that game with my father, watching Jose for the last time. And I had no idea. And it's crazy how just, how things unfold over time can totally change your perspective on something that you felt totally different about in the moment. And that's why every time you step foot in the ballpark, especially now, after this whole COVID situation, after everything that we have gone through, I can tell you that every time I step foot in the ballpark, whether it's as a fan, whether it's as a member of the media, whether it's as a broadcaster, if it's the Cape Cod League, if it's Marlins Park, whatever it is, I really just savor the moment. And I think 
Something could happen today that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Maybe it won't. Who cares? Every time I step foot in a stadium or at a baseball field, there's a chance that that can happen. I mean, literally the most aggravating game I'd ever been to turned into one of my fondest memories in a baseball stadium or just having to do with baseball at all. And that's something that I'll always hold on to and I'll always think that there's something to pull away from every ball game you go to and you don't know what it is. Maybe you'll know right away. Maybe you'll find out later. But there's always something that you're going to get out of it. And that's what's so amazing about being able to go to the ballpark. And hopefully we'll be able to do that soon. I hope Jose Fernandez's family is hanging in there on this tough day. I know how hard anniversaries can be. As for the fans, those that you know grew up really idolizing him, I know the way everything went and the way he died makes things really hard also to wrap your head around and makes the emotions even more confusing. But that's why it's that much more important to focus on the good and to talk about all of the fond memories that you have from the ballpark, watching Jose pitch, from interviews, or maybe you ran into him outside in the regular world and you have a good memory. Whatever it is, these are the days where you want to talk about it. These are the days where you want to keep his memory alive. And that's what I think the promise from all Marlins fans is. And even David Sampson, he had a really nice tweet about fulfilling his promise to Jose and Jose's family. And that's what Marlins fans should do is keep Jose's memory alive, watch some videos, remind yourself how nasty that slider was and how incredible he was on the mound. I know I'll be doing that later today, and hopefully that will lead into the Marlins clinching the postseason for the first time in a very, very long time. It would just be too perfect. Let's hope that it happens. Big game tonight, Marlins-Yankees. Sandy Alcantara, Jay Happ. Looks like it'll be a pitcher's duel, which means it'll probably be a slugfest because that's the way things are going. But regardless, let's enjoy this game. Let's enjoy these final three. And hopefully we'll be talking postseason baseball very soon so I can finally do that podcast about the Marlins postseason roster and all that good stuff. Hopefully tomorrow will be the day I can do it. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking potentially playoff Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.